0: Yo, yo, what is good, high performers, welcome to another episode of the Can't Believe I Made It podcast, your go-to source for athlete entrepreneurs aiming to elevate their game both on and off the field. I am your podcast host, Desi Abeda, your registered dietitian and high-performance mentor. Today we're diving into part two of a deep dive into a topic that's probably stirred up quite a bit of controversy in the fitness and health industry, the body mass index, or for our purposes, the BMI. This seemingly simple measure has dominated health assessments for decades, but is it really the best gauge for our health and performance? We'll explore its origins, uncover its limitations, and dissect the complexities that make it a less than ideal metric for athletes and entrepreneurs like yourself. But we won't stop there. We're going beyond the BMI to introduce alternative approaches that offer a more nuanced view of what it means to be truly healthy and at the peak of your own personal human performance. Whether you're sprinting on the track strategizing the boardroom or anything in between this episode is tailored for those who refuse to be boxed in by conventional metrics so gear up for an enlightening journey as we redefine the benchmarks of success and well-being in the world of athlete entrepreneurs and as always let's get it hey what's up people I was kind of taking a look at this last episode and sort of just joking with myself this last week's episode was one of those things where I got really triggered and I just pressed record and got my mic and just went to battle. And I'm kind of thinking, based off of the metrics, that y'all like that. So maybe I need to do it more often. And maybe for some of those that that don't, again, I'm someone who's constantly looking at his craft and, and figuring out ways to get better. But one of the things that I did notice, and in most cases, I try to be more polished for y'all. Like I, I try to do my best. Not to seem like I'm unblemished and, and perfect, but really just from a listener point of view, making sure that the messaging is concise, there's some storytelling, and you're getting something from this. But as I looked this past week, I know each and every podcast host and anyone who's been in the realms of presenting or doing something, doing a talk, anything like that, this concept of filler words get, gets brought up. I try to make sure that I'm okay with the pauses. I did notice this last episode though. (laughs) I looked at the filler words and I said the word like almost like 50 times. So I think from a listener point of view, I might be sort of shackling myself, if you will, because now all you're going to hear is filler words. And I hope that's not the case, but you can tell I was triggered this last, this last episode. And so for, for all of you who are very new to this, my bad, I'm imperfect. Sometimes I get pissed. And for those of you who are the OGs, you kind of just know that this just comes with a bag at times. But I just wanted to apologize for last week. I didn't I didn't feel like it was as polished, but for those that like that, hey, 100%, maybe I need to just press record after I get pissed off some more. But here we are into week two. I I wanted to take last week to just go on a rant because the internet, like I said, It's in this title. It's in the part two and and as well as part one, the internet was pissing me off when it comes to the BMI obesity and holding space for people in different bodies. I don't like when other fitness creators or podcast creators or other people just start talking shit to these people. And I don't really think it's done in a way that is actually effective. And so I wanted to take a step back and to look at opportunities for us to try to get better in this area. And so this is our part two, and I figured it'd be a really good opportunity for us to discuss exactly what nuance means and discuss the origins of the BMI and how we can glean information, not only just from the history of it, but also how to make decisions for ourselves moving forward. So let's go ahead and head into it in our part two. Now, I've never been one, and my wife makes fun of me about this all the time. And it's something that she laughs at me all the time. I can't do accents. So I'm not even going to try to kill this person's name. But let's discuss, let's take a step back into the BMI and discuss where it came from, what it is, and how that pertains to you all. So the BMI was created from an early 19th century astronomist, sociologist, mathematician, and statistician. His first name is Lambert. I'm not even going to try to butcher his name right now because I myself, my full name is Desi. I don't want people butchering, butchering my name. But I think what's important to note that back in the 19th century, when he, when he created this formula, and we'll go through what this is here in a little bit, when he created this formula, it was meant to be a statistical measure of obesity levels in a current population. And for him, he was very clear about saying this should not be a diagnostic tool for level of fatness or or level for what we refer to as adiposity in the body, okay? And I think when we look at when he created this back in the 19th century, there are some limitations because he took a small set of individuals that don't represent globally the diversity of the world. And so what he did is he took European white men and then created this formula, which in itself, I think, probably presents a lot of issues if you think about it, because if we look at at it from the standpoint of what's happening from a sociology perspective, and also from a medical perspective, those types of individuals don't represent the diversity of the world, and they don't represent you or myself. And so therein lies some of the biggest limitations that it presents right there. And we'll talk a little bit more about its limitations here as we go on, but this is kind of just sets the stage for you and sets the picture of what the BMI represents. So as we go into the actual metric, if you will, so the formula is stated as such. So it's the formula is stated as weight in kilograms divided by height in meters. And for those that really don't like conversions, or if you're American and you don't really like any of the other conversions, you can take pounds. By height squared, and then multiply that by seven hundred and three. So what's that? What that is supposed to do is to give us a statistical measure or a mathematical measure that gets put into these categories. And so, if I can paint the picture for you, as you take your let's just let's just stick with the European, okay? So if you take your kilograms, so you, you convert your weight to kilograms, and then you take you know however you however tall you are in centimeters, and we convert those to those meters squared. This should give you that, that number. So to, to help you understand this graph or the BMI graph and something that as we, as clinicians, as dietitians doctors, and things like that use again, once again, it has its limitations, but let me go ahead and sort of paint the picture for you. So anything below 18.5. Okay. So this is supposed to give you a, a double, a double digit metric, if you will, anything below 18.5 is considered underweight. Anything from 18.5 to 24.9 is considered. I'm going to put this in quotes. Normal. Anything from 25 to 29.9 is considered overweight. Friends, I am in that. I am in that realm. I am not overweight. And then anything from ob- that's considered obese is anywhere from 30 to 34.9. And then it, it kind of goes within a metrics. Anything 35 and almost 40 and above is considered. Ex- morbid obesity or extremely obese okay there's some there's some gray areas in a lot of these, but here's kind of the metrics that, just to paint the picture of what this means, okay for most others, obesity is usually thirty to forty what is considered morbidly obese is above forty but again just for for basic sake, that kind of gives you a picture okay so this is what's really important to note as we look at this graph because the formula itself has a huge lack of personalization it's not really looking at physical characteristics it's not looking at your muscle composition your bone density and what's most important in this case and this is what we're discussing fat distribution especially around your waist okay and this is going to vary significantly among different individuals because we're all diverse we all come from different backgrounds we all have different bodies So these are some of the limitations. Now, as it pertains to the athletes out there, so even if you're someone who is not in the realms of competition, but you're someone who trains, this kind of gives you an overview. We just got done with the Super Bowl. I don't know how you all feel when it comes to this, but it's kind of a, a grieving moment for myself because it's a really big high of seeing a really phenomenal game. And by the way, shout out to the Chiefs. That was a really dope game. So I still got football on the mind, but I still grieve the process because now it's not so bad that you look to basketball, but then you look to baseball. And baseball is dope if you go to a spring training game. Again, I've worked in professional baseball. It's cool if you're there, but you don't really want to watch it. Let's, let's be honest. So I got football on the mind. So, so I sort of wanted to paint the picture from an elite level athlete standpoint of how limiting this might be. So let's look at someone like Marshawn Lynch. Spent years in Seattle. A really cool personality, definitely someone that I want to meet <laughs> to some extent because dude is dude seems really hilarious just to be around. But let's look at him as as an example here as an athlete and some of the limitations of the BMI. So Marshawn Lynch is five eleven. His playing weight was about two fifteen. So if we went ahead and took his pounds to kilograms at ninety eight kilograms, and went went ahead and took his height into meters and ran that through the formula, his would come out as a metric of 30, which would be considered obese. And if you've ever seen Marshawn Lynch, the dude is not obese. The dude is a beast. That's why he has the the nickname beast mode. Okay. So here are some of the limitations of what this means. And this is where I think it gets really important because what the BMI does not cover, what the formula itself does not cover. And this is why I think As dietitians and fitness professionals and and other people, we have to be thinking of the nuance of this. Yes, it is a tool that we can use where we can gain some insight. But I think one of the things that used to be really painful on my end is that I was really thankful to get consults from doctors because someone's BMI. But the explanation to the individual was, you need to lose some weight, go see our dietitian that's not always the best entry point. It's not always the best introduction or invitation to, hey, what else is going on in your life? It seems as if you're meeting some of the markers. And again, we'll go down here in a little bit of what those markers might mean for you. And the importance, if, if you yourself are thinking about your health in a more mindful and intentional way, why it might be a really good idea to get yourself a team around you, a dietician, possibly a strength coach or a fitness professional, seeing your doctor on a regular basis, Again, doing all the things that you should be doing. All right. But this is why we should be preaching nuance. So when I used to get these same types of clients in, I would have to sort of overcome and and start educating them in the same way that I'm educating you now that the BMI can be a tool, but it can't be the tool because there's a lot of nuance when it comes to this. So what the BMI is not looking at is age, sex, or any sort of ethnicity factors. Because those BMI thresholds for obesity and overweight, they might not be accurate because the person might have a different body. Because, you know, even if we look at athletes who are in training or in competition, or you yourself who might be an athlete heading into your next phase in your life and you're just looking to regain your athleticism or getting back into it, this is where we discuss the importance of body composition. So, muscle versus fat. So, we have to consider those two variables if you will and we have to make sure that we are accurate in how we're getting those variables because athletes in particular and then and i I tell a lot of my clients the same thing here we can get some of these metrics but we're going to lack accuracy if we don't look at if we don't go get measurements taken from a professional and or a professional tool so this is kind of where we look at body composition tools and tools that are actually the most accurate out there. So some of my favorites is definitely a DEXA scan. So if you're someone who is interested in taking a look at differentiating between your bone mass, your muscle mass, your fat tissue, and a detailed overview of what body composition looks like, I feel like the DEXA scan is a really great tool. Again, there are some limitations, you know, for instance, you do want to make sure that you don't have anything in your stomach before. Like there's a lot of things that that goes into this. Okay. But this I would say the gold standard, if you will. This is one of those tools that I usually have a lot of my clients taking because it'll take those measurements. And then as they go back almost every three months or six months, then we can start testing of what's happening. Most recently, I just had a client that we were talking about this and she was really frustrated that she came into this thinking that she wanted to lose weight, but now she has noticed that she's gained two pounds over the last six months. And she's starting to freak out. But at the same time, she's noticing that she's getting stronger. She feels better. She has more energy. Her mental health has improved. There's all these things happening in her life. What was really cool about the DEXA scan is that we could take a look and say, okay, so you're up two pounds. And if we're just looking at the scale itself, like we need to overcome some of the fright of what happens with the scale. Because if we look at this, you're actually down two pounds of your fat mass and you've actually gained some muscle. So yes, it looks like, the scale hasn't changed, but your body composition is showing us different. And this is where I think the accuracy tool is something that is incredibly important. Now, you do have to have some privilege attached to getting a DEXA scan because it's also something that's not cheap. Most insurance companies are likely not going to, you're going to be covering that bill. Let's just say that. Okay. And they can range anywhere from 200 to above. A lot of gyms might offer it as a part of their membership. So it kind of depends. There's a lot of variability when it happens with that. But some other step downs, if you will, is getting with a professional who has been trained properly that can do some sort of skinfold, some sort of skinfold measurement. But again, and you yourself could be doing measurements, but again, there's going to be some accuracy issues here. So there's not any tool out there that's going to be incredibly perfect, but this kind of gives you a gamut of some of the things that you can do for yourself to get some accurate measurements. So yes, if you're someone who is in that overweight range, if you're someone who's in that, that BMI range of obesity and beyond, you can also start looking here as well. Because if you're someone who is also that elite level athlete, where you do have some more muscle mass, but you're concerned about it, but maybe your waist circumference uh, ratio is a little bit higher than it, than it should be. And we'll kind of go through a guideline of what that might mean, because. I might be triggering a lot of my brethren in the dietitian and sports and performance community because I've seen a lot of them talk about how body positivity and healthy obesity is not a thing. And while I, I do think that there are some places where we do need to have conversations about your health, here's the thing as a dietitian and, and as a coach and someone who has invested his whole life in a health and wellness and performance, I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. I can't do the work for you. So why am I going to shame you into stepping into a process and not try to hold space for what's going on for you and having a discussion about, Hey, if you're coming to me, it seems like you want to make these changes. How can I help you do that? And I tend to find that. And it's mostly, it's mostly guys, to be honest, like there's this like toxic masculinity that's attached to behavioral change that they feel like if they, put you down and they yell at you and tell you you're a piece of shit and things like that, that you should be, that you're, you're ruining the US medical si- like I've heard all of these. And that's literally this past episode, what triggered me to step into here and just press record and just be really raw with you guys. Because I, I really feel that that's a, a phenomenal opportunity for someone who is in a place of not only just health authority, if you will, because knowledge is power. But that's their opportunity to educate you and hold space for you and help you to understand some of the information that you might need. So for me, that's something that I'm trying to really, really be good about, of helping you to understand the information and then allowing you to go take those steps beyond that. Now, when we look at some other functional measurements that I think are important, I really love using the VO2 max. I usually, I really love partnering with strength coaches because anyone that steps into our programs has some sort of strength coach attached to their program unless they already have a strength coach that they've been working with. And in that case, I try to make sure that we're aligned with the messaging and then we just we just go. But to me, when I look at fitness, there are some other measurements that we can take and make sure that maybe you might not enjoy where your body is at, but you're getting stronger, you're getting faster, your endurance is boosted, you're feeling better. We can make do with that. Because I can tell you right now, I know a lot of people who have six pack abs who really struggle with their mental health because in the same way that morbid obesity might be an issue and might be a a huge health issue, so is being too lean. So it's kind of two sides of the coin of like what flavor of crap do you want to eat today type of thing. So we want to make sure that we are finding some, some gray area into what makes you feel happy, what makes you feel alive, and what are some of those habits and rituals that are attached to there. So let's look at, let's take apart the BMI real quick. Let's put it aside and let's take a big stab at obesity in itself. The reason why I named this, the internet's pissing me off because nuance is that there's a lot of gray area when it comes to this. And it's not always about, and this is what I freaking hate. It's the toxic masculinity that happens of, You're just lazy. You need to move more. You need to eat less. You need to stop putting things in your mouth. Like it's just it's crazy talk to me because zero of it has compassion. Zero of it has empathy for how complex the obesity issue is. So let me go ahead and paint this picture for you of three levels of let's say the root cause of what happens when we look at someone who has who's at dangerous fat levels. Okay. So the first things first, let's look at the definition of obesity, right? So this is the state of someone having excess fat at a dangerous level. In most cases, if we utilize a BMI, this would be someone that's above that 30 range, right? Above 40 is considered that dangerously obese range. And then we also want to make sure that the BMI in itself, in the same way that we've been talking about this, is not strictly the metric that we want to look at. So that's kind of the, the, the first level of focus that we want to say, like, okay, well, here's obesity. And then from here, if we look at the root cause of obesity, in most cases, it's a net energy surplus of intaking too, too much energy and not, act, not, ex, not expending enough energy, right? So that's our energy surplus over time. So that's a lot of thermodynamics, right? That's thermodynamics for you. Now, what's important to note here is that there's a multitude of factors that play into that. So it's not just about like, hey, you got to stop putting food in your mouth. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. We have to make sure that we understand that piece. Now, here are the factors that influence the root cause that we just talked about, that energy surplus, okay? Okay. So first things first, physical activity level. So this can be your exercise or your non-exercise activity. So whether you are someone who is not exercising and at the same time, for instance, someone who is constantly sitting, like for me, like my energy is too high. I can't sit down. Anytime that I'm sitting down for a long time, I really struggle, which is why if I'm recording this podcast I'm working at my desk in my studio, like I'm always standing. That's just part of what I've been doing the past five years. So on the opposite, if you're someone who is constantly sitting you're not getting in in enough steps, that's gonna play a role. The other thing that we wanna look at is sleep quality and quantity because when we look at sleep as a foundation, this is going to influence your appetite and your energy expenditure. Any of us have ever been through that, especially the, the parents out there where you don't get a lot of sleep and then the next day, you're kind of just groggy and fatigued. You're out of your routine. Your energy is low, so you're probably not going for that walk or getting that sunlight and you're kind of wondering why you know, coffee and donuts sounds great because at that point we're impacting your hunger and your hunger hormones. Okay. So these are the pieces that we want to look at. The other thing that we want to look at is your food environment and access to healthy nutrient dense foods. This is the part of nuance that really, really pisses me off when people say outlandish things. One of the worst things that I heard on social media was there was a fitness influencer that was telling parents, Hey, if you're someone who feeds your kids, these toxic cereals or pop tarts, I'm just convinced that you don't love them. It's crazy to me that that's something that, that, that still happens to these days, but this is kind of what we're talking about. So in regards to accessibility and access to food and things like that, we also have to make sure that we look at not only just do you have access to food, but do you have access to the education needed to make some of those nutrient-dense choices. If you're someone who grew up that ate mostly from fast food or restaurants or the gas station because your family was busy kind of getting you from sport to sport, whatever that was, you had a different lifestyle than someone who was constantly at home, who had access to food, who lived in areas where there was access to nutrient-dense grocery stores and things like that. You live two separate, separate lives, so we can't put you on the same pedestal and expect you to make the same decisions. That's the nuance of the piece. The other thing that we want to look at is obviously your genetic predisposition. Again, nuance. The other thing we want to look at is your socioeconomic status. We kind of looked at that with your food environment and your access to food. But again, once again, nuance. And then obviously your disease state. If you have some things that are coming up for you in regards to health issues, that's obviously going to play a role in how your body changes over time. And then the other thing that we want to look at is obviously your diet composition and the quality of those nutrients. That's where the dietitian comes in. Now, if we look at your lowest hanging fruit, I tend to think that if you're someone, if you're able, again, if you are able, if you're someone who can get out for more walks, if you're someone who can start concentrating on your regularity of sleep, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, getting in some sort of ritual where you are getting quality sleep putting screens away, cold room, like whatever that looks like. And then we can start looking at education at the very, very base level, lowest hanging fruit, like, Hey, every single time that you eat something, can we get protein? Can we get quality carbohydrates on there? Can we get color on your plate? Can we get fat? I tend to think at the, at, at your, your lowest level, if you will, foundation, those are things that we can all have control over, assuming that you're able. But once again, it depends nuance so that kind of gives you an overview of the of obesity and why i think it's important for us to understand that yes we need to meet people where we are where they are and at the same time we can't shame them into making decisions just to scare them that they're hurting the health system and hurting their family and things like that that might be true but we still want to educate and give them the information and meet them where they are those are the stages of behavioral change and this is why i think it's important And mind you, I'm not one that's saying like, you should only work with dietitians. I know some fantastic nutrition coaches out there that didn't go into debt like the rest of us that are fantastic. And at the same time, some really shitty ones. And on the other end of the coin, I know some fantastic dietitians and also some really shitty ones. I'm mostly just calling out the really shitty ones right now. Okay. Now let's look at most of the shitty ones argument as to why people should change. Now, I'm not here to tell you that if you are someone who holds extra fat, that you're any less, but I am here to, to give you the information. It's important for us to be checking up on ourselves. Like I said, to have a team around us. If professional athletes out there have teams of mental health coaches, if they have teams of performance coaches, strength coaches, dietitians, coaches in themselves, like doctors i think it's important for us to create our own teams around our health and our human performance anyway now taking a step back let's look at some of the callouts if you will some of the watchouts if you are someone who is concerned about your health because when we look at metabolic syndrome if we tap into that we are more at risk for type 2 diabetes we are more at risk for cardiovascular disease we are we are more at risk or possible stroke. There's just a slew of things that happen if we are someone who is who, who has this metabolic syndrome. So let's talk about what that means. So there's a couple diagnostic tools or criteria that we look at as dieticians that help us to understand, okay, this is how we tackle a certain issue and we start breaking away some of the complexities of what's happening here so that this this person can engage in a health and a life that they are really proud of, that they feel good about. First thing that we look at is waist circumference. So for men, if they are, you know, anything larger than 40 inches, then we look at that as, okay, that's a tag that we want to take a look at. For females, anything above 35 inches. So this is just waist circumference. We, we also want to look at their lipid levels, namely in this case, triglycerides. So if they're above 150 milligrams per, per deciliter, then yeah, another tag. We want to look at that. The other thing we want to look at is your HDL your high-density lipoprotein. So for men, if it's less than 40, for women, if it's less than 50, another tag. We want to look at that. Okay, cool. Now, as we start to get these three, it's like, okay, something's going on here and this person needs some guidance. And then obviously, we want to look at blood pressure. That's going to be a really big thing. And then obviously, your fasting blood glucose. So anything above 100 at fasting, once again, we want to take a look at because we don't want these slew of health issues to come up and with these diagnostic tools, we'll take a step back and say, okay, with all of this information, this person is, does have metabolic syndrome. They are at risk for type two diabetes. They are at risk for a cardiovascular disease. They are at, at risk for other mortality factors that we need to tackle with behavioral change. So this is where a dietitian can come in. Now, as I give you the information, this is where I think we should definitely take a step back and meet you where you are. If you're someone that I'm describing who is working the, through their journey, You know, whether or not you believe in body positivity or, or believing that people have different bodies, we're not here to discuss that. What we're here to do is to discuss the facts that each and every person has a different body and they're different. What I really love to do with clients is help them to understand what helps, what helps you and whether this is something they've experienced or not in their life, I don't care what helps you to feel like you are performing at your best not only just on that proverbial field, or even if you're in competition, if you're in the weight room, if you're with your partner, if you're at work cognitively, what does your life look like when you're performing at your best? Because what is really cool is that success leaves clues. And even if you're someone who has never experienced this, you can probably tell me what those habits and rituals are. And whether it's not, it's whether or not it's something that you have done, it might be something that you look at from a motivation standpoint or someone that you look up to that you're like, I really love the way that they go to life. (laughs) And this is what I notice about them. Because there is a lot of nuance when it comes to this. And, And instead of me telling you that you're obese or you have a different body or that you're fat and that you should make some changes. Instead, what I'm inviting all of us to do is to take a look and to be curious. If it's really hard to breathe, if you're not sleeping well, if your blood pressure is high, if your blood, if the last labs that you got, you had high triglycerides, your blood glucose was high. These are invitations right here for us to take a look and say, I wonder why that is. And if I have no idea what that means, it's time for me to get a team around them. Because when we look at our lives, I think one of the most important questions that we can all ask ourselves Is that given your state of being right now, in the next six months to a year, what does your life look like if you continue doing the same thing you're doing right now? And I can tell you right now that if you're someone who is like, I'm making progress on what I'm doing, I'm thriving, things are going to be better and this is why. You're probably doing things for yourself, engaging in habits and rituals that are really helpful for you. Now, on the other side of the coin, if you're someone that is like, oh my God, things are going to get worse. I might die. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of leaving my family. I'm afraid of losing an opportunity or whatever that is, then it might be time to make some changes. But we still have to meet you where you are. And that's where nuance comes in. So I want to invite anyone out there right now who has engaged in any sort of fat phobia or comments about people's bodies to take a step back. One, worry about yourself first. First, 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 worry about yourself. So oftentimes we sort of shed the poison onto other people that we actually feel about ourselves. Like, let's be honest. Let's call call a spade a freaking spade. We oftentimes give away or shut off the pain that we're feeling for ourselves. That's the first thing. So let's concentrate on yourselves, just like your mom told you concentrate on yourself. <laughs> the second thing we want to look at is if, you're, if you are someone who wants to make some changes, but you don't know how to do that, that's where I think it's important to engage with professionals, engage with the professional team to help you with that, because there's not one person that's going to help you to make those changes, but rather, getting a team around you. And if the best professional athletes out there are doing, th- doing that one thing, I want to invite you to think about getting a road team for yourself. All right, so this closes out part two. We went, at, we went over the 15 minutes. I figured this was going to be a longer pod anyway, but I took some time with this. And in part one, I did the rant. You heard it. Not my best moment. Or for some of you that liked it, I, maybe I need to just press record after I get pissed off more. But in this part two, I just wanted to give you the information so that you can go make that best decision for yourself. All right, friends, that's it for me. I'll catch you on the next one. Mad love to you all. Love your bodies, love your habits, love your rituals. You're freaking alive. Like there's there's nothing to complain about right now. In this moment, you're alive. Later, y'all. See you in the next one.